The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. Welcome back. And if you have a Bible with you, or a Bible app on your phone, would you find Exodus chapter 15? Exodus chapter 15. There are Bibles in the back as well. We'll do one more sermon in Exodus, and then we're going to have a series on our mission and some upcoming emphases, and then we'll return to the book of Revelation for the fall. Father, we are, we are grateful for your word. We, we need the truth. We need the comfort. Um, Spirit, would you speak to us in this passage, the Song of Moses? Would you um, help us to see you more gloriously, Father? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Exodus 15, verses 1 through 21. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand will destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led your steadfast, in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. 
Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Sharon. I am not a big Shakespeare fan, but I love Kenneth Bernal's film version of Shakespeare's Henry V. It's based on the real Battle of Agincourt, when the English army led by King Henry V invaded France. And when the English and French armies met, the English army was vastly outnumbered. And that's where Shakespeare includes King Henry's famous speech, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. Do you wonder where that phrase comes from? Well, then it rains. And it rains and it rains. And the heavily armored French get bogged down in the mud. And the superior English longbows devastate the French army. It's a stunning English victory. So King Henry says, let us go into the village and proclaim the results because God fought for us. It was God's victory, he says, in his own interpretation. It was God's victory, and so they then sing. They sing in Latin, but they sing Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Well, that scene raises a question for you and me. Do you sing of God's victory yourself? Do you sing to God of his victory on your behalf? I mean, do you believe, do you believe God has won a victory, as it were, such that you are to now sing to his glory like that? Or... Or maybe you don't think you have a reason to sing to him. I lose sight of that myself at times. Perhaps you have done so also. Or maybe life is really hard right now. It is difficult, and so it is difficult to see why you should sing to God. Or maybe, maybe you've yet to experience the victory he has won on your behalf. Either way, Shakespeare's Henry V captures the point of our passage that God's victory calls us to sing his praise. That's the simple takeaway, I believe, from Exodus 15. God's victory calls us, calls you and me to sing, to sing his praise. But the structure of this song is challenging and debated, but most agree it has two main movements, God's past victory and God's future victory. So let's see both of those. First, God's past victory calls us to sing 
his praise. God's past victory, you might say, calls us to sing to him. Having experienced God's deliverance, passing over his people in judgment because of the a blood of a lamb, and now assuring his people of their freedom by drowning the Egyptian army. Now we see in verse 1, then, then Moses and the people of Israel sang. They sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown, hurled into the sea. So Moses and the people now sing to the Lord for his great victory over the Egyptians. And notice, notice how they personalize this victory. It is very personal for them in verse 2. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my, my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. It is very personal. It is personally appropriated. And kids, I just wanted to say, this is what you and I must do in relation to the victory we describe today. It is out of personal experience. It is not just because you go to a church today. You must experience this victory personally by believing such that you too can say with verse 2, God is my strength, my song, my God personally. It is personal and, and it's a little bit sobering. They sing of God as a warrior who fights for his people like Henry V said. Look at verse 3. The Lord is a man of war, a warrior. The Lord, Yahweh, is his name, the great I am, the eternal one. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea or Reed Sea or Sea of Reeds, literally. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths, notice, like a stone. Later, it says, they sank like lead, poetically speaking. Our God is full of mercy and compassion, but he is just as much a God of righteousness and justice. He wars against evil, and here he is a warrior who brings his people into a fearfully awesome victory. And it's a victory for all of God's people, all of God's people. Notice how the passage ends in verse 21. Skip down to verse 21, where Miriam, sister of Aaron and Moses, takes up the tambourine or maybe some kind of drum and leads the ladies in song and dance. Verse 21, she echoes Moses in verse 1. She says, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Miriam is echoing verse 1 with a little difference. Miriam issues a command, an imperative. Moses said, I will sing. Miriam says, sing. 
Sing, sing. And this might be a kind of call and response where the ladies are singing a chorus throughout the song, kind of like what we did with that last song. It might be like that. We're not sure exactly. Regardless, all of God's people are in view. All of us are to sing as Miriam here commands. So think about this. We just witnessed a great salvation moment in the Old Testament. From slavery to redemption through the sea. But now the narrative stops. The exciting story pauses. And they sing. Why? Well, because they have a great reason to sing. And this is what God's people do throughout the Bible. When God brings victory through Deborah in the book of Judges, they sing, for they have reason to sing. When God answers Hannah's prayer for a son with Samuel, she sings, for she has reason to sing. When God does great things for David, he sings. Read his psalms. He always gives a reason to Sing. So here, when Israel crosses the sea, they sing, for they have reason to sing. And friends, we have a greater reason to sing. When Jesus' birth was predicted by the angel, Mary sang. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And then Zechariah the priest sings as well. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And then, of course, at Jesus' birth, it would seem a heavenly choir shows up. Glory to God in the highest. And in heaven, we glimpse the song that I trust we too shall sing in Revelation 5. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, the lion who is the lamb of God, Jesus. You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So, friends, the past victory we sing of is Christ's birth his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. In other words, the Christian experiences a far greater exodus, and so we have a far greater reason to sing. So, let us apply Exodus 15 even here to our Sunday service. Think of this time in the La Mesa Community Center through the lens of Exodus 15. This is a weekly opportunity to do what we see here, to celebrate God's past victory in Jesus, for we have so great a reason to sing. In fact, it's not just through singing worship. We worship God through his word, like we're doing right now. We worship God through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup, and we worship God through song, like in Exodus 15. Even if, like me, you don't know harmony from melody. Even if, like me, your singing may frighten the angels at times. 
Nevertheless, friends, we gather to sing his praise. Why? Because we have so great a reason to sing his past victory in Jesus Christ. In his article, Unashamed to Sing, Lesson from a Cubs Fan, Matthew Westerhelm writes, quote, I was born a Cubs fan, which, by the way, is how they think in Chicago. Having lived there almost 14 years, if you are born there, you are born either a Cubs fan or a White Sox fan. Because we relocated there, we were by law allowed to root for both teams. But they think this way. I was born a Cubs fan, he says. My passionate enthusiasm for the Cubs has led me to embrace traditions that would not normally be my style. At the end of every victory, the home stadium, Wrigley Field, is filled with the song, Go Cubs Go. You can literally hear it a mile away. He says, by every objective sense, it is one of the most inane songs ever written. Here's the line that appears in both verse and chorus. Hey, Chicago, what do you say? The Cubs are gonna win today. He says, the melody does not improve the lyrics, nor does my singing. But, he writes, elderly fans sing with children. Wealthy fans in luxury suites sing with working-class bleacher bums. All united, listen, all united in the euphoria of victory. All the diverse people, most diverse people, all united in the euphoria of a victory. Friends, that's us every Sunday. Different people, different stages of life, different backgrounds, different preferences. And yet we gather here united, all united in the euphoria of a victory. Is that how you think about this time? I mean, friends, if Cubs fans can sing Go Cubs Go and be heard a mile away, don't we have even more reason to raise our voices in the euphoria of Jesus' victory? Let that shape how we think about Sunday mornings and the privilege we have to gather like this. But then, then Mr. Westerhelm comments, quote, Imagine someone after a Cubs victory turning to his neighbor at Wrigley Field and saying, this song is not my style. It is not my preference musically. A thoughtful neighbor would respond, you're missing the point. Our team just won. He says, perhaps that disconnect between the victory and its celebration is at the heart of some of the squabbles over preferences in our worship services. I think that's helpful application for us. 
the disconnect between the victory of which we sing and the means of celebration can lead to squabbles over preferences. He says, we should not evaluate a worship service like a concert hall recital, evaluating for rhythmic accuracy and perfection of pitch. We should not evaluate a worship service like a rock concert, he says, as some jaw-dropping spectacle. No, he writes, our worship services have another goal, I would say a higher goal, proclaiming and celebrating Jesus's victory, the euphoria of what Christ has accomplished. I am not saying, I am not saying the quality of music is irrelevant. I am saying with Mr. Westerhelm, the reason we sing is more important than the music that accompanies the singing. The music matters. The reason matters more. In fact, for us, how we think about this, the musicians and vocalists assist us in song. They don't seek to replace us. The most important instrument in this room right now is your voice. You want to think about this time that way, friends. You bring with you the most important instrument. So may I encourage you, and I, this is ironic on Tropical Storm Sunday. <laughs> God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? I would encourage you to seek to arrive, seek to arrive early enough to ready yourself to sing to seek to be here for the call to worship and hear God from his word invite you to come and enjoy him and then engage your heart and engage your mind with the truth of the lyrics. Truth about God and his victory in Jesus and let those truths fan into flame fresh affections and fuel your singing worship. This time, friends, is about raising our voices in the euphoria of Jesus' past Victory, and I would be remiss if I didn't thank our musicians, our vocalists, our setup team, our sound team. Thank you, all of you, because you make this time possible. It doesn't happen without you. Thank you for being here early. Thank you for volunteering your time, your energy, such that you assist us in our singing praise. Thank you so very much. But you might be thinking, Tab, Jesus' victory is not just past, it's also future in a sense, and you're right, that's what we find in this song. It transitions from past victory they just experienced through the sea to now future victory as they look ahead. So secondly, secondly, God's future victory calls us to sing his praise. God's future victory as well, friends, calls us to sing to him. Look now to verse 14, please. Verse 14, the peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror 
and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as stone. Notice, till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. Though this is translated in the past tense, this section has a kind of prophetic or at least confident sense about the future. They've just experienced this great past victory, and they know God's promises to them. So now they praise God, looking ahead, confident of his future victories over the nations as he gives them their inheritance, the promised land. So this is really about confidence, looking ahead that God is going to bring them home and bring them home in his presence. Notice verse 17, please. Verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. Now, they might be singing about Mount Sinai, where God is going to renew his covenant with them. They might be singing about the promised land of Canaan in general. Or they might be singing with reference to Mount Zion, where the temple will ultimately be located. Or, as Peter ends notes, perhaps all three are in view in ways, regardless They sing with confidence that he is going to bring them home in his presence. But getting home ain't going to be easy. It's going to be a challenging journey, as we're going to see. Getting home requires a difficult journey through the wilderness And I trust you're seeing how the connection with our lives is not difficult to make. The Christian has experienced God's past victory in Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. We look forward to the completion of that victory, the consummation of that victory in the future when our Savior returns, makes all things new, and brings us home forever in his presence with renewed bodies, brand new bodies on a renewed planet. Until then, our journey through the wilderness of this world is often hard journeying to that ultimate promised land inevitably involves hardship. Inevitably involves difficulty. Inevitably involves pain and grief. So what does that mean for our singing? Because you might be there this morning and the euphoria of victory seems distant for you, and I understand that. Carl Truman has written an article that's very helpful. I'm going to send you this link this week. It's entitled, What Can Miserable Christians Sing? What Can Miserable Christians Sing? He says, modern idols of health, wealth, and happiness 
have invaded how we sing and why. He says, quote, the understanding that life has a sad, melancholy, painful dimension is too often ignored and sometimes even denied in our churches. So what can miserable Christians sing? He says, first, let us learn to lament. That's why we did so early in our service. Because often, listen, often our singing to God of his victory will look more like singing the blues. But as you sing the blues with a Godward lament, that prayer of pain that leads to trust, as you sing Godwardly like that, you are praising him and trusting him. So friends, it is possible to keep singing and keep going. This year marks the 55th anniversary of Johnny Erickson Tata's diving accident that left her a paraplegic. She's been a paraplegic for 55 years. She was asked how she has magnified Jesus for 55 years. She said, quote, I would die in despair if I couldn't sing to my Jesus in my paralysis. It's possible to keep singing and keep going, even if you're singing the blues today. For friends, one day, one day, you're going to sing the song of Exodus 15 or something similar. In Revelation chapter 15, you don't need to turn there, but Revelation 15 echoes Exodus 15. Revelation 15 says in heaven, quote, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Christian, you're going to sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. He's going to bring you home as well. So you can sing with this sure hope of God's future victory, Jesus' completed or consummated victory when all things are made new. But you might be asking, how can I have that confidence, Tad? I mean, why? Why should God's past victory fuel faith and praise for God's future victory in Jesus? Well, you'll notice I skipped over a pretty big section. In the middle, this song turns to the second person, as in you, God. It says, you, your, you, your, you, your. And there is a certain repetition of your right hand. Notice verse 6. Verse 6, your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And then it shows up again, kind of as a bookend in verse 12. You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them, poetically speaking. God's right hand is here, his, his direct intervention and his glorious 
power. Notice the contrast with verse 9. Verse 9 says, the enemy said, quote, I, I will pursue. I will overtake those Israelites. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand, my hand, my power shall destroy them. God is saying through this song, uh, no, thank you very much. It's my hand, God says, my awesome, great power intervening for my people to carry the day. So Moses sings so meaningfully in verse 11. Notice verse 11. Who is like you, O Yahweh, among the gods? They're coming out of this polytheistic environment in Egypt. Who is like you, O Lord, among the false gods of the nations, who is like you, majestic in holiness, your otherness, awesome, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. Friends, notice verse 11, please, majestic in holiness, awesome in deeds, doing wonders, and directly involved with his people in love. Verse 13. You have led in your steadfast love, your steadfast love, the people whom you have redeemed. God leads his people by his steadfast or covenantal love, his loyal love, his committed love, his faithful, unwavering, never-changing love that you have in Jesus. So here's why, friends, here's why you can sing of that future consummated victory in light of your Savior's past victory. Here's why, because you know his right hand, his awesome, glorious power. You know his majestic holiness. You know his awesome greatness, and you know in Christ his unwavering, loyal, steadfast love. That's why you can keep singing and keep going until he brings you home. I want to close with a lengthy quote from the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. We're going to email a link to this quote as well. Don't need to write this down. Just take it in. I want to read this to you slowly, and I hope the Holy Spirit encourages you. Quote, When Moses sang at the Red Sea, it was his joy to know that all Israel was safe. Not a drop of spray fell from that solid wall of water until the last of God's Israel had safely planted his foot on the other side of the flood. In the last time, when the elect sing the song of Moses, the servant of God and of the Lamb, from Revelation 15, in the last time when the elect sing the song of Moses and of the Lamb, it shall be the boast of Jesus, of all whom you have given me. I have lost none. 
as many as God has chosen, as many as Christ has redeemed, as many as the Spirit has called, as many as believe in Jesus shall safely cross the dividing sea. We are not all safely landed yet. Part of the host have crossed the flood and part are crossing now. That's us. The vanguard of the army has already reached the shore. We are marching through the depths. We are at this day following hard after our leader into the heart of the sea. Let us be of good cheer, he says. Let us be of good cheer. The rear guard shall soon be where the vanguard already is. The last of the chosen ones shall soon have crossed the sea. And then shall be heard the song of triumph when all are secure. Whatever you're going through, and it might look like singing the blues, you have reason to sing to him. A great victory has been won on your behalf. A great victory by your Savior that will most surely be consummated. He is going to bring you home. And then when we gather around the throne, we shall sing like Shakespeare's Henry V. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us, but to your name. Give glory. Let's pray together. And those who are going to serve us the Lord's Supper can prepare to do so, and the music team can come. Oh, friends, take a moment to respond to the Holy Spirit, whatever he's been speaking to you about. that you might enter in once again to the euphoria of Jesus' victory for you. Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you that we have so much to celebrate. Thank you that you've given us so Great, a reason to sing, for in Christ we have a greater exodus. And we look forward to when it is completed and all things are made new. Help us until that day to keep going and keep singing. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.